Hello all and welcome to episode 25 of The Postcast. I'm Cassie Stein and with me my co-host Sean Fairholm. After a week off thanks to the 4th of July falling on a Tuesday, we are back this week to talk with Global Golf Post John Steinbrader about his trip to France, Lay Golf National, and the Open Championship. Let's jump right into that interview now. And now we welcome on to the postcast one of our favorite guests, Global Golf Post travel editor John Steinbrader. John, how are you feeling? Are you recovered yet from your trip to France? Well, it's easier than going to uh, Australia or Singapore or some really far off place like that. But yes, I'm sort of sort of recovered. I think my liver's a little tender from all the good wine <laughs> I got to drink. <laughs> I'm sure uh, it is. <laughs> uh, no, I am. I had, a, I had a great trip. It's um, it's exhausting. You know, it's one of the things that's funny about it in the summertime, and you forget about this living in the New York area as I do, that our latitude in New York is comparable to Naples, Italy. So Paris is quite a bit higher uh, than New York or high enough that there's a difference in the, in the sunlight and it's, you know, still light at like 10 o'clock at night. So, um, there's a, uh, you're compelled to, uh, stay out a little later, have a little bit more fun maybe because, uh, it's, it's, it's really bright for a really long time and it's, uh, it's a beautiful city and a beautiful part of the golf world. And I wasn't getting to bed as early as I'd like to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, you learn something new every day. I didn't know that. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, Scotland, but it's pretty, there's a lot of light. And uh, yeah. it was a, it was a great trip, but a, a long one. I'm happy to be home, but I had a great time, and I would go back there in a second to play golf. Yeah, that's awesome, Steiny. Before we get to your trip about France and a few other topics, Sean and I were wondering what was your gut reaction to John Rahm winning the Irish Open, and then also that rules incident that occurred during his victory. Yeah, you know, his winning was great. I think I um, I'm a fan of his. If you know, I know we're not allowed to cheer in the uh, press box, as they <laughs> say, but. As someone who likes golf and, and likes it a lot, I, I like the way he plays. I love the way he swings. Uh, I saw him up close uh, at a TaylorMade event down in West Palm in December, and I was staggered at, at how far he was hitting his forearms. I think it was like 250 yards. I mean, it's just insanity. The, the guy is so smooth and so strong and so good, and uh, I think we're going to see a lot of him. I mean, I, I know we've had a lot of – number ones in recent years and people seem to rise to the top and then fall back down. And I don't know that we'll ever see the domination we saw with Tiger for a while, but I, I got to think that John Rahm is going to be in on top of the, uh, the world rankings before too long and, and may stay there for a little bit. He's got great game. He's got a lot of game. And if he can control his, uh, his temper, which by mm-hmm. his own admission got better of him at the U S open, I think he can really do something special. Uh, he, he was great to watch. And, um, and, uh, you know, that's, it's not easy playing in Ireland, Northern Ireland, anywhere in, in that part of the world. And, uh, he really showed a lot of moxie and had some pretty, uh, some pretty great putts and that wonderful Eagle. And, you know, as for the rules of traction, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm no expert on that. And I, I just think that, uh, uh, whatever they ruled on is fine by me. And that's what they think is the right way to go. And again, I still feel bad for Lexi Thompson, what happened to her, but, um, it doesn't taint it or create any problems as far as I'm concerned. But again, I'm not a rules expert, so I defer to the experts in that field, and they said it was okay. So uh, I, I'm going to just go along with it. Hard to disagree with your assessment of uh, John being number one in the world sooner rather than later. I think Cassie and I are both on this, the same page with you there. Steiny, you were out at the uh, Open to France, and a great finish there with Cassie's favorite golfer, Tommy Fleetwood. 
continuing his incredible rise in, in 2017. Tommy had a standout amateur career. He won an English amateur. He won a, a Scottish amateur. He played on a Walker Cup team. It's taken him a, a while to get all the pieces together as a professional, but he, he's really come into his own recently, hasn't he? He's had a great year. He's only 26 years old, so uh, you, know, you, you forget about that. And uh, Obviously, he's making enough money now. He can afford a proper barber and then somebody can shave him. <laughs> Uh, looking like he's living in college. It's been a long time between haircuts and shaves, but uh, he's a wonderful uh, lad. He's very, uh, very charming, um, and he and he, he played just brilliantly. You know, he had the great U.S. Open at Aaron Hills. Obviously, uh, he's now uh, won a few times on the European Tour. He's got a lot of confidence, and he really had. You know, he he had to come back. He was a stroke behind Peter Uline and uh, the other co-leader, whose name is. Gave it to me right now. Um, when they started the final round, he shot an unbelievable 66. I think Peter shot 68 and, and damn near um, held on to win. But, you know, Tommy played really well. He was four uh, shots up, his nearest competitor, with four holes left to play. Then all, all of a sudden he played the last hole and he had to make a really testy two-putt on 18 uh, to uh, make a par, to shoot a 66. And I think his final putt he said was about four and a half feet and it was a real it was a tough one and he put it right in there and showed a lot of moxie and he's got a lot of confidence he's from southport uh which is where uh, royal burkdale is now he sort of laughed about that course because of its royal connotation and the fact that uh as he described it, it's a little snooty for him mm -hmm. he, he he's played the least amount of golf in that course as any of those golf courses in the lancashire coast area in, in uh northwest england but uh he, uh, he's got a lot of confidence. He's got to be a player to watch. If I was inclined to play office pools or play any golf pools, which I'm not, but if I were, he'd be somebody I'd want in my pool uh, coming into the Open Championship because I just he's got the game. He knows how to play up there, and he's got a lot of confidence right now. We'll talk a little bit more about the Open Championship in a, in a little bit, but can we touch back on Peter Uline for, for a second? And he was the runner-up to Fleetwood in France. Uline, who has the similar story, he was also a 2009 Walker Cupper, and then he won the USAM in 2010. He's now qualified for back-to-back -back majors for the first time in his pro career. How would you describe Peter's journey and how he went over to Europe and started playing with Brooks Kepka, who's now the U.S. Open champion? Just talk about his journey a little bit for us. Well, sure, and uh, you know, Peter is uh, Peter and Brooks took sort of both the path less traveled. Uh, what's so interesting about Peter is that his uh, his father, Wally Uline, is a very good friend of mine and a man I have the utmost respect for. The CEO of a cushion company, I, I think, uh, with Wally's advice, I'm sure, and input, they looked at what would be the best way to help develop his game. Uh, so he's been overseas. He's been playing in you know the Indian Open and uh, this Open and that Open. He's been all over the world. He had some injury problems. I know for a while he had a bad wrist injury and was, and you all, we all know as golfers that if you're wrist is injured that is not good uh in this game of golf and i tell you peter's had a great year this year quietly slowly but surely i think he's ranked in um the the top 80s 80s or 90s uh, uh the world golf rankings right now he's number eight in the race to dubai he's only won one time on the uh, european tour but he's had a lot of good finishes this year uh the one of the open de france being you know chief among them right now uh he qualified as you mentioned cassie that got him into the open championship he qualified for the u.s open um i i think his journey has been waylaid a little bit by the injury 
And uh, but he really seems to be coming into his own. And the way he's playing right now is, I think, it's all starting to take shape and take form. And it wouldn't surprise me to see him start to really blossom and get down into the, you know, underneath the top 50 and and, and make more and more noise in, in major championships and other tournaments right now. He played with a lot of confidence. He played with a lot of verve uh, there. And, you know, the Open to France, I mean, the weather was miserable. I mean, it was raining some days. It got cold off the course on Friday afternoon. It was blowing pretty well. Um, you know, and he hung in there and, and he, and he did great. And I was really impressed on the 18th hole where he, uh, pushed his drive. He's a big hitter and he pushed his drive on 18 at, uh, at the Le Golf National. And then he kind of yanked his, not really yanked, but it's a, his second shot, uh, went into a bunker left of the green and he, he, he had to hold his bunker shot. I let Jordan Spieth in order to win the tournament and he didn't hold it. And he left the shot about five or six feet away from the hole and deflating. It was Tommy Fleet was when, and uh, Peter stood up there and, and drained that putt. And it just showed a lot to me that he was disappointed. He, even though he got 68, he still missed lost by a stroke and he just stood up there and he, and he made that putt. He didn't let it get to him. He finished his round. And um, I think he's playing very well right now. And he's played a lot in Europe. He knows his golf courses. He knows what it's like to play in, in tough conditions. And I, I think he too would be somebody, a dark hope course mind you but somebody to watch this uh this coming uh, week both in the scottish open and then you know, next in the open championship stanny you want to get into a little bit about the golf course these gentlemen competed on at the golf national it's quite a captivating course visually with with the water and play and this unique design element of having two greens of, of closing holes being kind of right next to each other with that amphitheater there how will the course set up for match play when the Ryder cup comes next year well, I, I think it's it's going to be great. Now, I I played the course in a scramble the day after the tournament, and I want to tell you, it's a hard golf course, and it's a hard golf course for a decent amateur player. It'd be impossible for a twenty handicap for setup the way it was. There's a lot of rough the the tees. They set them up for the event for the tees back a little bit, and it, it's going to be it's a very difficult golf course. But it was built and designed expressly to host a Ryder Cup. Believe it or not. Um, going back, um, going back into the early nineties and this is what they wanted to do. There are these, what they call, you know, buttes, uh, these mounds and hills for spectators, which would be really, really good. It's made just for this type of competition, both to handle, uh, metal play and the match play. I think it's going to be a terrific venue and every player I talk to likes it. Uh, it's been a site, I think for 15 of the last 16 French opens. So the, uh, the players in the European know the course they like the course they're long walks between greens and tees uh, as many as two miles i think by the time all is said and done so it's a it's a course that requires some pretty good physical endurance uh to make it and it's i think it's going to be a terrific venue for the for the Ryder cup the more i looked at it the more i talked to people over there they really like the way it sets up the way it plays and it engendered some wonderful um uh, uh, drama uh, this past couple of weeks ago when it was held uh, the Open to France and I think we're going to get the same thing with the Ryder Cup and uh, and the Europeans feel they're going to have an advantage there they know the course well they've all played it a lot and the Americans have not and that's going to be interesting to watch yeah so it's a bit of a historic moment for french golf and you know there's got to be tons of excitement bringing the Ryder Cup there but is there a little bit of a disappointment that they don't have a player in the mix for the Ryder Cup right now obviously there's Alexander Levy and he's in the top 100 of the world golf rankings as he is 80th I believe but 
is there is there a little bit of a disappointment? There's no player right there that that could we could say, oh, he's going to be on the team. I think there's a huge disappointment. You know, France has only had, believe it or not, three Ryder Cup players in its in the history of the Ryder Cup. Now, you know, it wasn't until the mid you know late seventies that the Europeans were allowed to play in the Ryder Cup, so that's a little bit of a misleading statistic. But it's still uh, there have been few and far between, and they had hopes in. in in 2014 with the Dubuisson, well, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, the enigmatic uh, Victor Dubuisson, who's a great player, did a great job up at Glen Eagles, played very well for the European team, won two and a half points, uh, was ranked, I think, 15th in the world, and now he's ranked 130 or less or higher now, probably 135 or 140 after missing the cut up the Open to France. And, you know, he's not going to be there, and I think it really bums them out because they love seeing him there in, in 2014. They'd obviously love to have one of their people there playing, um, one of their countrymen playing there uh, next September when it comes to Le Golf National, and right now it does not look good. Now, there's a lot lot uh, of tournaments to transpire between now and then. The points don't start accumulating until the end of August with the um, the, uh, the European Tour event in Czechoslovakia, the Czech Masters, which starts, I think, the last day of August and uh, ends in early September. That's when the points will start accumulating for Ryder Cup teams. So somebody could get hot from France. Somebody could do well uh, from that point on and, and make an appearance on the squad. But it, as of right now, it does not look good. Mm-hmm. And it does bum the, the French out because they'd love to have one of their countrymen uh, on that team. If you can indulge us for a moment, Steiny. French golf overall, from a travel perspective and from a, a golf course architecture uh, perspective, what do you like aside from Le Golf National? Well, Le Golf National to me is one of those things, sort of like TPC Sawgrass, maybe. I mean, George Pepper, uh, a friend and great golf writer and editor, described it as kind of a European TPC course. And I think that's an accurate description, and it's 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 modern, it's brawny, it's more of a tournament course for tournament play. Um, but France has got a great golf history, you know. They uh, uh, and they have some great old classic courses. I've played three wonderful tracks. One was called Morfontaine, which reminded me a lot of Sunningdale Old. It felt like a Heathland course. It's up north of Paris in this little village with. Uh, swaths of heather and and uh, it's built on sandy soil. I mean, again, it's one of these marvelous locations where the soil is sandy as can be, probably the remnants of a prehistoric lake. So you've got lynx-style conditions or heathland-style conditions in a place in the in the middle of the country. Uh, designed by the great Tom Simpson uh, from the UK, who just had a marvelous eye for golf and and built a beautiful course here. It's uh, a playable Pine Valley. Somebody else described it to me, but th- th- I think it's one of the best courses I've ever played. It may well be the uh, the best course in continental Europe. It's certainly one of the top five there. Uh, another one is uh, Chantilly, which is spelled like Chantilly uh, for those of us who speak the uh, the other kind of English. And uh, it, it's uh, it, it's got two courses there, two eighteen hole courses. Uh, Tom Simpson again involved with uh, the design of the old course there. And it's a, a beautiful track. Reminds me of the old Walton Heath, uh, again, and outside London, again, a Heathland-style course. Uh, very firm and fast fairways, uh, very uh, terrific. Not a lot of bunkering, but very good bunkering. They, they can't, because of water conservation rules, uh, uh, water their fairways during the summertime. So it'll play firm and fast, just like a Lynx course. And Shanti is right 
you know, the course is right outside of town where they have one of the great racetracks in the world. There's a museum of the horse there as well. There's a gorgeous chateau and a museum within uh, the Musée Condé, uh, which is right there in Chantilly. So you can do a little 19th hole work with your saw spikes on and do a little touring, which is quite fun and see art and, 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 and beautiful gardens and, and whatnot. And then there's uh, Fontainebleau, which is south of the city, home of another chateau, a beautiful chateau where Napoleon was held before he went into exile on the uh, island of Elba. And that, too, is a, a, a terrific Tom Simpson golf course. You've got these three wonderful uh, old courses in and around Paris that I just blew me away. All three of them were just uh, eye-openers. And I had no idea, and I just remembered about, you know, France's involvement in the game of golf. A lot of Brits went down there in the early 1900s. The weather was better. The food was better. Lord knows the wine was better. And uh, they had some uh, British guys build some great golf. And uh, so I thought the golf was superb and then i went down to bordeaux and played three new courses one by tom doak at uh the golf millionaires uh one by bill core at uh, golf to madoc and another one at that same resort golf to madoc by rod whitman who did the um cabin links course and so you had this combination there in bordeaux not only of great food great wine great country but three really really good uh, modern golf courses it all have kind of linksy elements to it again built on pretty sandy soil less so at the uh saint emilian course done by doak than the other two but playing with the same sort of traditional link style principles and um i, I was staggered at how good it was I, i've always loved uh france i visited there 20 times 25 times in my life i know the country pretty well I've never been there with my golf clubs before and i was staggered by how good the golf was ah, makes me want to travel right now doesn't it sean <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> um, Saini, before we let you go, obviously we have to discuss the Open Championship at Royal Birkdale, which um, is merely just a week away now, which is crazy that it came up that fast. But you talked about Tommy Fleetwood and Peter Uline as possible favorites and dark horses. Do you fancy the chances of anyone in particular other than those two players or maybe a certain style of player for that for that course? I mean, it's it's so hard. I think you always get in an open championship. I always look to be, you know, one old guy will, you know, will show up and do well because if anybody as Watson has showed us and Greg Norman showed us is going to contend uh, when they're much older than they, uh, you know, they should be contending, uh, it's going to be in an open championship just based on the firmness and the fastness of the um, the fairways. The balls are going to run out. They can compete from a distance standpoint with the young guns much more easily, much better. So that's something that certainly comes to mind to me is is saying, you know, I always look for the Open to give us a really good, uh, you know, blast from the past in, in some way, shape or form that somebody from years gone by is going to step up and have a good few rounds and, and be in contention. You know, it's hard, hard not to look at Brooks Kepta and, and just think, well, you know, why not him? He's played in Europe. He's played a lot of links golf. He, he's got to be playing with just unbelievable confidence. It's going to be really interesting to see Sergio, too, because. You know, you had the thing with their Sergio with his win at Augusta in the spring. And I was just saying to this the other day, looking at our issue, our latest issue, and the picture of him in his green jacket at Wimbledon. And I'm wondering, well, is he, is he going around with his green jacket and having a lot of fun? Or is he actually doing some practicing and some playing right now? He's obviously got the game to win a, a, an Open Championship. He's come close before. Uh, I'm really curious to see how he might do and and, um, and whether he is, is now that he's broken the through as a major winner is, is going to be able to kind of do it again. And this would be, you know, I think the easiest and the best tournament for him to do so. So 
I've got my eye on him and thinking of somebody that could be really, really good here and really strong uh, with this Open Championship uh, 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 coming up. You stole my picks, Diane. Sergio is my has been my pick since the beginning of the year, so I'm I'm right on board with you there. <laughs> I mean, I'm also curious to see how Dustin Johnson's going to play because mm-hmm. you know we all thought going into the Masters he was he was going to be there. Now he's um, he's disappeared, and uh, you know I just uh, a little bit. I just don't know. I mean, he's so bloody good. I again, someone who broke through last year. Uh, well, the, he doesn't necessarily surely had the game for this uh for an open uh championship with a lot of wind and a lot of bad weather we'll see how it goes and i thought um i thought we had a really nice piece in the current issue regarding uh and i forget whether it was uh Lewin or uh, or hoppy who did it uh, unfortunately about uh rory and, and and graham mcdowell and it's it's very interesting how those two have fallen kind of off of the landscape and another person i want to watch so i guess i'm not giving you picks but more uh, i think people are going to be in interesting to watch is Rory. I mean, what in the world's going on with his game? And and here he is coming back to a part of the world that he knows well in the style of golf he knows so well. And, and how's he going to do? I'm really interested to see how he performs as, uh, for the Open Championship. Yeah, injury is definitely a main uh, storyline for, for his season in 2017, for, for sure. Steiny, thank you so much for, for joining us. Tremendous insight as always. Really fun to talk to you. Great being with you guys. All the best. Thanks again to Steiny for joining us on the postcast this week. Uh, Sean, I just want to jump back and talk about um, our first question we asked him about John Rahm. I honestly think he is going to be number one before we know it. What do you Mm. think? I I think you're absolutely right. Um, The only question is whether he could really play really well in in major championships. We haven't really seen that yet. He he only has four starts in major championships. So um, that's the only really really, uh, question mark at this point. But uh, I think... In 2018, he will be number one in the world before we know it. I do, too. And I think he just has such, such a good support system. I know he has his longtime girlfriend and obviously Tim Mickelson, who's obviously on Phil's bag right now. But I think he's a really good influence on him. I think just, you know, from his college days when he was when Tim was his coach and now as an agent, I just think he feels so comfortable out on the tours that he can get any done and anything done. And I think he believes in everything. You know, I think he can, I think he believes he can get to number one in the world before, before everyone's eyes. And I'm really excited to see where his game goes. And like you said, I think we just have to see him perform well in the majors and then, um, We'll see what he can do from there. Yeah, he has a modern, powerful golf swing, doesn't he? He's uh, such a fun yeah, yeah. player to watch, emotional. Really quickly, that that episode on on number six, that incident that happened. What what was your overall take of uh, of what happened? You know, it, it's really hard to tell. I, I, the whole rule is about intent, and if he didn't intend to do anything wrong or accidentally put his mark in the wrong spot, then. I, I guess you got to believe the player, right? I, that That's the new rule. But I don't know. It was really hard to tell. I saw so many different videos. I saw so many different photos. And um, I, I honestly don't know. I, I really don't have an opinion on it. I guess it was just part of the golf tournament and the, the ruling happened and that was the end of it. Yeah, I don't think it was a huge deal. I think uh, the bigger thing here is just where the rules are of golf were going in general and, and this intent portion of it. Because did it matter to the outcome of the event? No, not really. It was a, a two-foot par putt that he was going to make no matter what. But I, I think the, the point being is that he didn't 100% follow the procedure for marking his ball, moving it, and then replacing it. And that intent portion of it, you know, do we care whether someone places it exactly on the same spot? Um, that's just the kind of uh, 
the, the portion of the rule that we have to look out for moving forward. I think uh, you need to replace your ball correctly. You don't have to put it exactly on the, the one dimple that it was on before, but uh, I think you, you do need to intend to put it exactly in that same spot. So uh, we'll see what happens moving forward. It'll be really interesting. We have so much technology now in the game of golf, you know, all those high definition cameras watching everybody. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how that kind of coincides with, uh, with how the rules of golf progress over the years. Right. I, I, yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that. Yeah, but um, definitely. Gl- glad we talked about John Rahm. Let's, uh, let's jump into the schedule this week and see what's on uh, tap for golf. Yeah, the PGA Tour is the John Deere Classic at a TPC Deere run in Illinois. No Jordan Spieth, unfortunately. He obviously got his start, really, in winning PGA Tour events when he hold that bunker shot back in 2013. But he... Uh, is, is unable to uh, go and try to win for a third time at the John Deere Classic. But it's always a birdie fest there, always a cool tournament. Uh, first-time winners are uh, are always welcome at the John Deere Classic. A lot of first-time winners in the past. Ryan Moore will defend his title, so looking forward to that. On the LPGA Tour, it's the U.S. Women's Open. It's the second major in three weeks. It's at Trump National Golf Club in Bedminster, New Jersey. I don't know. The rumors out there say President Donald Trump might show up this week, uh, according to some uh, aircraft, uh, (laughs) I believe, papers. So uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see if he shows up on the weekend there. Yeah, Steve Eubanks, who's on site for us for Global Golf Post, said that Politico has an entire, entire row in the media center. So you know that it's not just a golf tournament at that point, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and the uh, European tour is over at the Aberdeen Asset Management Scottish Open at Dundonald Links in Troon. Ron Green Jr. from the Post will be there on Saturday providing some coverage for us. Alex Noren, who has had an incredible rise over the past year, rising into the top 10 in the world, he will defend his title in Scotland. It's the fourth Rolex Series event of, uh, of, of the year, and uh, those events have gone pretty well so far. So European Tour is, is looking up right now. They have. I feel like they've all been so exciting to mm-hmm. watch, too. So I'm Absolutely. glad that that's doing really well. Um, on the Web.com Tour, it's the Utah Championship at Oak Ridge Country Club in Farmington, Utah. So uh, that'll be a fun one to watch as well. Definitely. On the amateur circuit, we have a couple of good events this week. We have the uh, Players Amateur at Berkeley Hall Club in uh, Bluffton, South Carolina. Plus, the Trans Miss is taking place this week in Hutchison, Kansas at Prairie Dunes Country Club. That's where the 2014 NCAA Championships were held. A beautiful but tough course, a lot of fescue, uh, really kind of out in the open. Really, ni- A really nice venue out there in the middle of Kansas. And uh, just to get it on your radar, the U.S. Junior Amateur starts on Monday, so that's before our next show will air. So we just want to, like I said, we want to put this on your radar. It's at Flint Hills National Golf Club in Andover, Kansas, and uh, there will be a champion crowned next Sunday. So a week from Sunday, we'll have a new U.S. Junior Amateur champion. Yeah, we have so many great players come out of, the, of that event, right, who win Junior Amateurs and then go on to have incredible careers. So that's always an event to watch. Absolutely. So let's jump right into Bingo Bango Bongo. Shall we? Absolutely. Who do you like to uh, to win the, the John Deere Classic this week? Well, I mean, I was kind of bummed that Jordan Spieth wasn't in the field because I think we would have both taken him. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? But I'm going to go with the next best choice, and that's going to be Zach Johnson. It's a risk-reward type of golf course there at TPC Deer Run, and with his precision and ball striking this course, I think really fits his eye well. He won in 2012 and 2015 here, and he owns six top three finishes in the past eight visits, including three runner-up finishes. I mean, it can't get much better than that unless you're going to win. 
In that stretch of golf, he's played DP, uh, at TPC Deer Run. He's 133 under par. <laughs> and I feel like at this time, time of the year, he really starts to heat up. So Zach Johnson is my pick to win this week. Very nice. Yeah, great wedge player. Um, Steve Stricker, yep. another great wedge player, always plays well at TPC Deer Run. It's definitely a place where uh, shorter hitters have had some success. Um, Spieth is not really a short knocker, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's not really a place where bombers have to uh, go out and, and win the tournament. We've had plenty of shorter guys win, so definitely a good place for Zach Johnson to compete. I like uh, Johnson Wagner this week mm. to uh, to win. He has three straight top tens at TPC or Deer Run, uh, T5th twice and, uh, and T7th on one occasion. And uh, he's tied for he was tied for fifth at the Quicken Loans National a couple weeks ago, playing some pretty good golf, and he obviously uh, likes this track, so... You know, he's a guy who's won before in the PGA Tour. Why not uh, give Johnson uh, a try this week? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like that's kind of like a sleeper pick, too, but that's a, that's a good one for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, my sleeper this week, I'm going to go with Maverick McNeely. And some of you may not know the name because he's still an amateur, but he can perform well on the biggest of stages. Um, he's, he held the number one spot in the World Amateur Golf Ranking for the longest time um, before he was taken over um, earlier this year. Um, he's tied with Tiger Woods. L- listen to this company he's in. He's tied with ti- Tiger Woods and Patrick Rogers with 11 collegiate wins at Stanford before graduating in June. I mean, that that's pretty good. Tiger Woods, obviously the best of all time. Patrick Rogers, a rising star on the PGA Tour. He's also playing in the Open Championship this next week. Uh, Maverick McNeely is. So um, he really hasn't decided if he's turning pro yet because he is so smart and he may choose a different career path. He's just insanely smart. So He's a really good name to keep an eye on, and he, if he joins the PGA Tour, you know, if he starts on the Web.com Tour and then eventually gets the PGA Tour, he's he will be a force for many years to come, but, but just a matter of if he turns pro or not. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and a lock for the Walker Cup in September, oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's a great yours? sleeper. Uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Who are you picking? I, I mentioned him a little while ago. I'm going to go with Steve Stricker, and I don't know if he really qualifies as a sleeper. I'm going to use him as a sleeper here. Uh, of course, he won three straight times at the at the TPC or Dura Run, uh, and uh, he was T7 at Colonial a few weeks ago, uh, played so well at the U.S. Open in Wisconsin. Uh, he was a T16 there. Why can't he have another good week? Uh, I think great wedge yeah. players, as we were talking about before, play well at this tournament, and uh, he's obviously comfortable here. You don't have to be really long to, to play well, and I think he's probably going to have another good week. Yeah, I kind of wish he played it in that U.S. Senior Open because I would have loved to see how he fared there. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, what can you do, you know? Absolutely. Um, Who do you have to miss the cut this week? Um, I'm going to go with Bubba Watson. And uh, I think we're on the the same page here. I I just think that he's a little bit checked out at this point of of, of his career. And uh, not not to be harsh on him or anything, but I think this is just, um, he kind of had his his rise and uh, I don't, really expect him to uh to really be a factor again in uh in, in terms of the world rankings and you know I, I think he's fallen down to around 40th now and um yeah I, I don't I don't think he's really tuned in to uh to really get that much farther ahead in his career I think he's got to kind of accomplish what he's want, wanted to accomplish for the most part and um I think he's just a little bit checked out at this point yeah so I wanted to see he, you know, I did some research on Bubba, so I wanted to see the last time he played at the John Deere Classic. Mm-hmm. It was 2010, hmm. and even then, he missed the cut with a 67.72. So you, you, like you mentioned before, you have to go really low at this course, and like last year's winning score was 22 under. 
So Bubba made the cut last week at the Greenbrier, but he finished with a four-round four total of three over. That's not going to get it done this week. So I, I, he may be playing decent, sure. He made the cut last week, but I just can't see him making the cut at TBC Dare Run this week. I was uh, going through the strokes gain putting list of, of guys so far in 2017, and it's, a, it's incredible some of the names that you see you know, in the bottom 50, you know, the stats only cover about 206 guys, 206, 207 guys that are, that are counted towards the stat. And Bubba Watson is almost dead last in terms of strokes game putting. Um, he is just a, a horrific putter right now uh, in, in 2017. And uh, it, it holds back a lot of guys. You, you could see a lot of guys who are great ball strikers who are way down that putting list. And uh, it's definitely a uh, PGA Tour is so much of a putting contest these days, or it really is, and Bubba yeah, is not, not winning that contest at the moment. No, I have to agree with you on mm-hmm. that. Um, but unfortunately, that's all the time we have left on the postcast this week. That went by pretty fast, Sean. It did. Uh, um, please follow us on our social media feeds, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Global Golf Post and you'll be able to find us. Also, if you have any topics for us that you'd like for us to discuss, tweet us or leave us a comment on Facebook. Until next time, Hershon and I hit him straight. See you later.